Listen, there's a great work to be done. As soon as you win this court battle, you must deliver this message. Take advantage of this opportunity and declare a powerful message to this world. He expects more of us. He believes we can do more. Who's going to stop Christ? Who's going to stop Christ from getting this work done? This is Behind the Work. Welcome to Behind the Work. I'm Grant Turgeon. We're broadcasting to you live today from the Herbert W. Armstrong College campus here in Edmond, Oklahoma. And just about an hour ago, Herbert W. Armstrong College Chancellor Gerald Flurry gave an orientation address to college students, faculty, and also staff members here in Edmond. And the message also went out via live stream to the campus in England, too. It was an outstanding address. This is orientation week, not just for Armstrong College, but also for Imperial Academy. So next week on the show, we will have some highlight highlight clips from Mr. Gerald Flurry, president of the college, Mr. Stephen Flurry, and also Imperial Academy principal Wayne Turgeon. So you can look forward to hearing some select portions of what they said next week on the show. In that orientation today, Mr. Gerald Fleury spoke about true leadership. And while I was listening to that, one word just kept coming to mind. Meekness. Yes, meekness. Maybe that's not something you initially relate to leadership. Yet God does. In fact, meekness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is a character trait we will develop in our lives if we possess God's Holy Spirit. That's in Galatians 5, verse 23. Probably meekness is the most misunderstood fruit of the Holy Spirit. I found an excellent definition of meekness at Christianity.com. It says, meekness is a humble attitude that expresses itself in the patient endurance of offenses. Gentleness is a practical synonym. It implies mercy and self-restraint. Meekness is not weakness. Sometimes we confuse the two. But the difference between a meek person and a weak person is this. A weak person can't do anything. A meek person, on the other hand, can do something, but chooses not to. That means a meek person is powerful. A meek person could strike down or deal forcefully with someone who offends him but he chooses not to do so. A weak person will accept the disrespect because he's too weak to retaliate at all, and he has no choice but to bear it. Pretty obvious difference there. Being meek means being powerful, but using that power with a lot of mercy. And that is something that all of God's leaders in God's work do. They do use power with mercy. They do 
apply this valuable character trait of meekness, not of weakness. This, again, is just totally different from the way the world looks at leadership, as Mr. Flurry brought out in that orientation message. The world doesn't think about having power and great authority as being synonymous with service and meekness and humility. The world's way of looking at it is that once you become rich and powerful, you can make other people do whatever you want them to do. You can force other people to bend to your will. God does not think highly of that way of doing things. At the end of that lecture, Mr. Flurry referred to Luke 22. He read these verses, Luke 22, verses 24 through 27. And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest? And Christ said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But you shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that does serve. For whether is greater, he that sits at meat or he that serves. Is not he that sits at meat? But I am among you as he that serves. Christ is saying there that worldly leaders love to have that authority. And they love to look down upon their subjects and maybe do something nice for them once in a while. But they certainly don't have a service mentality. Christ was there on the earth to serve all the time. And that's what made him greater by far than all of his disciples. There are plenty of examples of manly meekness in the Bible. Like I said, it's easy to mistake meekness for weakness. It's easy to think of meekness, even in a good way, as just a feminine trait. But God views it as also an important trait of masculinity. Examples of manly meekness include Moses, David, Mr. Gerald Flurry, Mr. Flurry's predecessor, Herbert W. Armstrong, and Jesus Christ. So we'll look briefly at all of these examples and just see what meekness really means, what it really is in practice, because God wants leaders and he's seeking to develop leaders. That's what the college is for, to build up lots of male and female leaders within their respective roles. God does value the right kind of leadership, which does employ tons and tons of meekness. So we'll start with Moses. God actually has really high praise for Moses. Just think about this, Numbers 12, verse 3. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. 
God called Moses the meekest man on the planet. Again, not the weakest, the meekest, the most meek. He had that kind of humility, which really no one else could match. And how did Moses show this kind of meekness? It's pretty astounding. These examples really will show you there's a a huge difference, actually, between meekness and weakness. Exodus 32 gives the account of the Israelites at the base of Mount Sinai waiting for Moses to return with these tablets of the Ten Commandments, and they get impatient. They thought, well, Moses has been gone for too long. We need to build our own gods. Forget about the fact that the real God just brought us out of slavery. We're going to build a golden calf. God was so angry with this, he wanted to wipe out the entire nation. Just get rid of them forever. So Moses immediately cries out to God. He prays to God. He begs him. He reminds God of his promises regarding the nation of Israel. Exodus 32, verse 13. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self. And said unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. That was a prayer that got results, as you will see here, verse 14. And the Eternal repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. So yes, God did repent there. That doesn't mean that God sinned. But he did change his mind. He did decide, because of Moses' prayer, not to annihilate Israel. Moses had so much power as God's leader. And he could have sat there quietly. And he could have been self-righteous and thought that the nation deserved it. And that God on his behalf was striking Israel down for disrespecting Moses like this. For growing so impatient with Moses. And even though Moses was disrespected by Israel, by the Israelites, Moses also realized that ultimately the disrespect was against God himself. He didn't get personally offended by what the Israelites did with this idolatrous, debaucherous, outrageously ridiculous party that they were having while Moses was literally receiving God's law straight from God's finger, written on these tablets of stone. The Israelites couldn't wait a few days, apparently, before they had to get right back into pagan Egyptian worship. So Moses exercised a lot of restraint here to save an entire nation. 
But at the same time, when Moses did walk back down the mountain and he saw with his own eyes what these Israelites were doing, he smashed the Ten Commandments on the ground. He later repented of that, but he was outraged. He was enraged with Israel. He actually ground up the golden calf into powder and made the Israelites drink it. Doesn't seem like a very weak person, does it? Moses was powerful, and he did get indignant, sometimes beyond righteously indignant, to where he had to repent of how angry he actually became. But the point is, God called him the most meek man on the earth, and yet he got angry, and he punished millions of people by making them drink a golden calf powder with their water. Not weak at all. Back to Numbers 12, where God does describe Moses as meek, more meek than anybody. Miriam and Aaron, basically Moses' two top assistants, found a personal fault with Moses. And they thought, well, we're justified in maybe trying to seize a little bit more of Moses' power for ourselves. See, Moses obviously isn't perfect. God can use us a little bit more. Miriam and Aaron confronted Moses. They questioned the authority that God had given to Moses. And again, God was furious. And he immediately struck Miriam with leprosy. And notice Moses' response to that. Numbers 12, verse 13. And Moses cried unto the Eternal, saying, Heal her now, O God, I beseech you. God compromised. He made it to where Miriam was afflicted with leprosy for seven days. But he did heal her after that time. Moses, again, could have felt as if this punishment vindicated him. He could have maybe scorned these people who would dare to question his authority. And instead of sitting back and letting, letting them face excruciating punishment, Moses intervened again. He had restraint, and he asked God to pull back some of that punishment. Very meek, but also very strong. That was Moses. King David is another example of godly meekness. God uses leaders like David. David had the right kind of heart, a true kingly heart, a musical heart like we've talked about before, but also a humble heart. David was meek, humble, grateful for every blessing. 
Psalm 8 verse 4 says, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? David here is looking out at the sky at night, and he's marveling at the universe, the glory, the splendor of the universe. David realized he was just a speck, if that, compared to the vast universe. And he was so grateful that God still cared about his life. He saw himself for who he really was, for how puny and insignificant physically he really was. And God blessed him. God blessed him in a way that continues to this day, where David's throne is still in existence to this day, still in the possession of David's royal descendants to this day. Here's a funny example of David's meekness. Again, having the power to confront and crush someone who disrespects you, but choosing not to. That's a definition of meekness that David put on display here. 2 Samuel 16, um, verse 5, shows this man named Shimei. He comes out while David is walking with his army. And then verse 6, And he cast stones at David and at all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. Just an entire army. And Shimei has the gall to curse at them and throw stones at them. Must not have had much regard for his own life. Verse 7, And thus said Shimei when he cursed, Come out, come out, you bloody man, and you man of Belial. The Eternal has returned upon you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose stead you have reigned. And the Eternal has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. And behold, you are taken in your mischief, because you are a bloody man. Just brazenly taunting God's king. This infuriated David's army. <laughs> and they wanted to do something about it. Second Samuel 16, verse 9. Then said Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, unto the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray you, and take off his head. And then David's meek response, verse 10. So let him curse, because the Eternal has said unto him, Curse David. Who shall then say, Wherefore have you done so? David saw Shimei's disrespect as being sent from God, God trying to humble David. And so David didn't retaliate against that. If you had an entire army by your side and one foolish person were taunting you in this way, would you have the meekness to do nothing about it? 
it's hard to imagine any of us <laughs> being able to do that. One more example of King David's meekness, also of King David's gratitude, is in First Chronicles chapter 17. This is where God informs David that David is not allowed to build God's house. God explained to David that David had been in too much bloody war. And so David would not be able to build the house his son Solomon would. David would just be allowed to compile the materials. David did not get upset. He did not throw a fit about it or let bitterness consume him. He actually thanked God for even having the opportunity to just compile the materials, to stockpile the resources for God's house. It would be so easy in a situation like that for him to just be crushed, let down. He had his hopes up. He wanted to build God's house, and now he couldn't. Just amazing the way he responded with positivity, with even being humbled at the chance to do much less than what he had originally anticipated doing. Just building up the stockpiles. David was meek. He had a lot of power, but he was also meek. There were times where he did have to use that power to crush rebellions to make sure that he did God's will. But he was also meek. Mr. Gerald Flurry is an excellent example of weakness, or of meekness too, not of weakness, excuse me. He constantly says, don't look to me, prove what I'm saying straight out of your Bible. He also elevates Mr. Armstrong well above himself. Mr. Armstrong, in chapter 24 of his autobiography, which is available to you for free at thetrumpet.com, gave an example of his own meekness. He wasn't trying to brag about himself, but his meekness really does shine through in this example. This is chapter 24, which is titled, Ordained to Christ's Ministry. Mr. Armstrong writes, God did not induct me into his service as an imposing figure, impressing others as a man of importance, wisdom, and distinction. Rather, the Eternal put me into his ministry a good deal like the Apostle Paul who wrote. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 3. So Paul there is talking about a different kind of weakness. We're all human. We're all weak compared to God. But certainly God does not work through weak leaders. Paul wasn't weak in a bad way. Mr. Armstrong continues here, I was no VIP entering the ministry. There was no red carpet welcome, no pomp and ceremony, no spectacular acclaim. It would not have been God's doing had it, start, had it started out auspiciously. 
Everything God does through human instruments must start with the humble beginning, the very smallest. God brings down low and to naught the proud and the lofty. The eternal is able to exalt his own and exalt in his own due time those he first humbles. He talks about having his idol, his cocky self-confidence crushed so that God could finally use him. Mr. Armstrong says that this process actually took him 28 years of poverty, financially lean and humiliating years out of the very prime of life. That's what it took for God to turn Mr. Armstrong into a meek and humble servant. And that's true of all of these examples I've talked about so far. Meekness is not a natural human condition. It's not something we just possess overnight or from birth. We tend to want to exalt ourselves a little bit higher than we should be. It does take a lot of training to undo that wrong tendency. Mr. Armstrong says, From the first and for some time, I was treated by the ministers as the greenhorn tail-ender among them. (laughs) They used every practice and device constantly to humiliate me and belittle me in the eyes of the brethren. I needed this, and I knew God knew I needed it. Aware of my need of humility, I felt myself that I was the least of the ministers. However, the brethren loved me and continued looking to me for leadership. That is a big reason why God values meekness. Meekness wins hearts and minds. It wins people over. People want to follow someone who is humble. That is a joy to be led in that way. And so God's leaders are meek in that way. And of course, the ultimate example of meekness is Jesus Christ. Psalm 22, verse 6, Christ described himself during his persecution and crucifixion as just a worm. He said, I am a worm and no man. Jesus Christ is one of two eternally pre-existing God beings. With all the power you could imagine and then so much more. He wasn't indignant or offended when human beings struck him down. He called himself a worm. John 13 shows Christ's foot-washing mentality, that foot-washing attitude we all need, where as a leader, you are humble enough to wash the feet of those who serve you, of those who are under you in authority. What an example. 
Matthew 5, verse 5. Christ's words here. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So today we've been talking about godly meekness and how God uses meek leaders. These are the types of leaders God is trying to develop today at Herbert W. Armstrong College in the Philadelphia Church of God. These are the types of leaders who will inherit the earth very soon. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Behind the Work. You've been listening to Behind the Work. Email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for a new episode each Monday at 1130 a.m. Central Time.